this situated here. Okay, I introduced this particular this particular series last Sunday evening, and as I had said, I said again this morning, I had been looking forward to doing this particular series of studies on Sunday evening. I think it really is important for us now. Uh, I've already done, in fact, it was running this past week, I did this study, but not in as detailed a fashion as uh, I'm doing it on Sunday evening, but I did that for our today's Bible class, our short studies that we podcast every day, seven days a week. So that, that this already ran last Sunday, or I mean last week. But um, I want to look at it in more depth and take a little bit more time through this particular series as we're going through it on Sunday evenings. Now, as I said, beware of drifting. And as we looked at it in an introductory kind of way, we always need to be aware of our spiritual direction. And unfortunately, I think a whole lot of folks in our world, but even let's you know zero in more in our country today are not paying that much attention to their spiritual lives. They just don't think that that much about, about uh, how they're living their life before God, and they're not focused much, if at all, on where they should be focusing upon getting eventually, and that's heaven. That ought to be our number one primary goal. And I know that it may sound simplistic, but I've, I've said this for a long time. If you don't get to heaven, your life's a failure. And people can protest, they can say, well, what about this, what about that? If you don't get to heaven, you failed in life. And, and don't expect, you know, I had one lady one time tell me many, many years ago before I ever came to Omaha, well, what, what about if, you know, taking somebody with you? And my response to that is, if you ain't going, you're not taking anybody with you. Because you have to be going to take somebody with you. So if you're not ultimately going to get to heaven, then you have not had the influence on people around you, your spouse, your family, your children, work associates, neighbors, friends. You haven't had the influence on them that you need to have on them. Today, today I think we've got a whole lot of people, and, and it's probably been that way to some degree almost forever, but it seems like it's increasing in our culture right now. We have a whole lot of people. You might say, well, well what, why do they do that? Why don't they, where's their head? God's not in their head. They don't think about God in relation to decisions that they make. They think about what they want to do. They think about what's going to make them happy or what's going to please them or, or you know, something along those lines. But they don't think about God in the whole process. You know, remember what James wrote the last several verses of James chapter four, we need to be asking God into our plans on always on a regular basis. We always need to be aware of our spiritual direction in life <clears throat> because it is easy to drift into sin. It is easy to drift into doctrinal error <clears throat> as a Christian. It's easy to drift into outright unfaithfulness to God and to Christ and we can do that drifting even without realizing that we've gone off course because it can be a gradual process. The devil does not have to turn us into atheists or agnostics or skeptics 
to win. He can just work on us gradually and just guide us, influence us to make decisions that result in our gradual drifting away from God and away from faithfulness and away from truthfulness and that he's, he's still one. He's still one. <clears throat> Just so he gets us off course and keeps us off course. Now, we think about, well, let me go back a little bit before we get into these definitions. Yeah, no, let me go ahead. Look at these, these technical definitions of these two words that we commonly think of when we're talking about sin. Well, first, the first one is sin itself. Now, the technical definition is it is a missing of the mark. The second one that we're, we're familiar with, we don't necessarily use it as much as sin, but it's transgress or transgression. To cr- transgress is to technically, again, to go aside, to go beyond. But you see, it basically the same definition, the same sense as that word sin. You miss the mark. Now think about, and the illustrations I used were, think about a pilot flying over the ocean. It can be the Pacific Ocean, it can be the Atlantic Ocean, but, but he's flying for hours over the ocean because his destination, wherever he's going, is thousands of miles away. And so there's no land bearings that he can look toward. There's no mountains that he can say, okay, yep, I've gone this, I've, I've flown this flight many times. There's such and such peak of such and such mountain. I'm on course. The same thing is true for a ship at sea. So the pilot, he's piloting that ship across to whatever destination. If he's going across the Pacific, maybe he's going to, to Japan thousands of miles. If he's going across the Atlantic, maybe he's going over to France. Again, long way. No land bearings. So how do they stay on course? They've got to watch their compass, right? They've got to make sure that they stay on course because if they are one degree off, depending on the distance to their ultimate destination, they're going to miss their destination by 50 miles, 100 miles, or even more. Now, if you're, if you're heading to a particular shoreline, to a particular city, maybe to a particular group of islands, and you miss your, your mark, you miss your destination by 50 or 100 miles, you don't even see it. You've just missed it altogether. Now, again, think about a marksman. He's out target practicing. And so depending on the distance to his target, he's got to sight in his rifle or his pistol if he's using a, a one or the other. He's got to sight that in for distance, for direction, and for wind velocity. Now, as fast as a bullet leaves the barrel of, say, a rifle, maybe a high-powered rifle, if he's, if he's shooting at a target a thousand, a thousand yards off, well, believe it or not, that bullet, it loses velocity as it goes along. So he's got to decide, you know, do I need to elevate my sights a little bit? If there's a little bit of a cross current in the wind, that ultimately will have an effect on the flight of that shell. So he's got he's to figure all that in or else he's liable to not only miss the bullseye, but miss the target altogether. 
So we've got to understand, and those are, those are illustrations of sin and transgression from a spiritual perspective. Missing the mark, going aside, going beyond. Well, we need to understand the principle spiritually because it's all the more important in our spiritual lives because we're talking about an eternal destination. We need to be careful to not drift away from the spiritual course that God has set for us in his word. And he has given us a course. He's given us the guidelines. He's given us the roadmap. And we need to stay on course. We need to keep watching our spiritual compass and our bearings so we don't stray off course. The Hebrews writer very succinctly puts it in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. As I said, so many people now, they don't give a let alone second thought to God, let alone the first thought. They don't give, they don't give God any thought in, as to how they're directing their lives, as to whether he wants them to go in that direction or not, whether what they are considering doing or making a decision on doing would be approved by him or not. So therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. We've heard them through God's word and the key phrase at the end of that verse is, lest we drift away. Just not giving proper attention can cause us to drift away. Somebody who puts their bass boat, small fishing boat, into a lake or a river, and they start throwing out their line at a particular point, and they're catching fish. And they're enjoying that. But then after about 30 minutes or so, they realize I haven't caught any fish for the last 15 minutes. <clears throat> what happened? Did they stop biting? And then they look and they examine their position along the shoreline and they realize I wasn't here catching fish. I was 50 yards down the shoreline catching fish. But they didn't drop an anchor for their boat. And so the gradual current just drifted their boat down the shoreline and they didn't even realize it was happening because it was going so slowly. Lest we drift away. How can we end up drifting away from God? How can we end up drifting away from Jesus? How can we end up drifting away from faithfulness? How can we end up drifting away from the church? Well, by neglecting our faith by neglecting our spiritual life, our soul, by neglecting our relationship with God and with Christ, by just neglecting it, not even thinking about it at first as deeply as we ought to think about it, and then after a while, because we've been drifting gradually away from those relationships, not thinking about it at all, and we drift away. Gradually, but inexorably, we continue to drift away. Now, I want to look this evening at a real-life example of drifting away and the tragedy that ultimately results. As I said this morning, <clears throat> this is a, an example that probably every single one of us here this evening as an adult has experienced. Now some perhaps in our own personal individual lives, but probably more likely, we know somebody 
who has lived this real-life example of gradually drifting away in their lives. Now, I'm talking primarily not from a spiritual perspective, but it certainly has spiritual applications and spiritual implications as a result of this gradual drifting away. How many of us have known couples, known couples in our lives who were once madly in love? Maybe we were even really close friends with those, those couples. They were madly in love, this, this young man, this young woman, and, and they decided they did not want to ever be apart again. So they got married and they were so happy when they got married and they just were living the dream in their own mind. But then after five years or maybe less than that even, maybe it went on to eight years or 10 years, we got word that, that Joe and Mary, they're, they're getting a divorce. And we say, what? And so we get on the line, we call them up. Maybe we even go over and visit, visit them. And we say, what happened? Maybe they're already divorced. And so we're talking to them and, and what do they say? You know, we just kind of grew apart over time. Well, what they're saying is we drifted apart. And that's what happened in their minds. And the sl- they slowly drifted apart. Their love for one another, they were so madly in love, but that started to cool and it cooled more and more and they didn't even realize it was happening until somewhere along the line, as the years passed, one or both of them, they thought, you know, we're just not happy anymore together. They slowly drifted apart, did not even realize it was happening. And so they decided we're not in love anymore. We want to be happy, and so they, they got a divorce. I was called to a couple's home one time, many years ago, and as we sat down at the kitchen table together, they began to tell me what had transpired. Now, what had brought everything to a head was the dumb husband, and being a man, I can, I can refer to him that way, okay? He had no idea that anything was wrong. He and his wife, they'd be in the same living room every night, but he'd be laying on the couch watching the ball game. She'd be sitting in a chair over there somewhere, some distance away, knitting or sewing or something like that. He thought everything was hunky-dory. But then she was sitting there feeling more and more isolated, more and more left out, more and more not given any attention. And then somehow one day she ran into a man who started to pay attention to her. And he and she would go grocery shopping together. And he would make cookies with her. And she was keeping all that from her husband. And then somehow he found out. And that's when I got the phone call. And as we began talking about what had transpired, what led to that, and she started opening up, he just wasn't paying attention to her. But in ignorance, he thought everything was still fine, like when they had first gotten married. And she felt more and more 
left out and unloved. Now, thankfully, after we spent some time together, they changed, and this, this was a couple probably in their 30s, maybe late 30s. If you would look at them, you would say that is the American dream right there. They had, a, they had bought a nice house. They lived in a nice neighborhood. They had two beautiful kids. They were a young, attractive couple themselves. But you see, they gradually drifted away, drifted apart from each other. And, but they made a commitment. They moved away, started a life in another area, and the last I heard, they were making it. But they were having to shift their attention back to each other. Slowly drifted apart. And that happens, probably every single one of us as adults knows somebody, some couple, in the relationship of which has gone through exactly this scenario. Couples need to always check their compass as to the direction that their marriage and their relationship is taking. To not be careless, but to be on guard, to be aware, to make sure they're giving each other the attention that they need to give. They need to think back about when they were madly in love as a dating couple and could not stand the thought of not being together as husband and wife for the rest of their lives. What changed? I remember the story about, and I think this actually was, a, was an older preacher. He and his wife, they're driving along one day. They'd been married forever. And so she's sitting along on the passenger side and he's sitting over here and the driver aside, and he's driving along, and, and she said, what's happened to us? Used to, when we'd be driving down the road, we'd be right next to each other. And maybe she even said, you'd have your arm around me, or I'd have my arm around you. And he thought for a moment, and he said, who moved? He was still in the, pass, in the driver's seat. She was now way over in the passenger seat. She hadn't thought about that, see? But she just wondered. Now, I don't think their marriage was in any kind of jeopardy. It just kind of hit her one day. We're not sitting so close to each other as we used to sit. Maybe she thought about maybe they're not putting their arms around each other even in the household. Maybe they're sitting in different chairs across the room as they're watching TV or whatever it might be. But you see, one thing I always try to emphasize when I'm going through premarital counseling with couples, and some of you couples, can, you can attest to this because you remember, don't neglect the romance. Keep the romance going. Keep dating. Keep paying attention to each other. Couples need to always check the compass on their marriage, how their marriage is going. I want to just look at some excerpts from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Uh, now the other side of the ledger. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, died for her. We drop down to verse 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Do you tell your wife every single day, I love you? And do you tell her through the day more than once, I love you? Do you tell your husband, I love you, darling? Do you hold each other? Do you hug? Do you kiss? Do you pay attention to each other like you used to when you first got married? Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. How would you want to be treated yourself? That's how you ought to treat your wife. Respectfully, lovingly, giving care to her. And the wife seeing that she also loves her husband and shows him the respect that he deserves as her husband. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband, that she respects her husband. Lesson we need to learn, we need to learn. Respect and live up to the responsibilities that God has designed for each of us as husband and wife in the marriage relationship. Colossians chapter three, beginning with verse 18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Make sure as couples that you demonstrate not through some kind of, of outward, you know, surface level showy kind of thing that doesn't have any real depth of meaning, but every day show each other, you love each other because you could end up drifting away otherwise. First Peter chapter three, beginning with verse one, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, Without a word, they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And I've seen that exact, that scenario exactly play out in the way that Peter laid it out there. A, husband, a wife, maybe neither one of them were members of the Lord's church when they got married, but she learned the truth. And over a period of time, her husband, through her example to begin with, and then by him getting into some study himself, he became a Christian as well. How much do we love each other, respect and live up to those responsibilities? Now, let's look at another verse in the same, this same immediate context that Peter lays out here. And this is verse seven. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together. Now look at this. We're talking about eternal, eternal inheritance here as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. If a couple's relationship is centered in God and centered in Christ, centered in what God wants them to be as husband and wife. Now, let me put it another way. Husbands, wives, 
if you stay, if you are absolutely determined and you're paying the proper attention to make sure that it always stays on course, that your relationship, your love for one another, if you remain soulmates, then I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to remain mates in every other way in your marriage relationship. God first, but each other, each other second, right behind. Be soulmates, stay soulmates. Husband, think again what we read in in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you love your wife? Do you let her know? Honey, I'm here for you. I'm here to take care of you however you want me to take care of you, however you need me to take care of you. Have you got that that mindset, that determination? It doesn't have to be spoken, but it's lived. I would die for you if that was what needed to be done. If I could take whatever you're going through, whatever suffering, pain, discomfort, whatever it might be, if I could take it on myself and remove it from you, I would do that. I would do exactly that. Does she know that? Does she know that? Well, husbands, Christ's love for the church is your standard laid out for us in Scripture as to how you should love your wife, your bride, Is that the way it is in your mind? Is that the way you demonstrate your love for her? Does she have any question as to what lengths you would go to for her if necessary and if you could? Check your compass. Check your compass. Now, embody these qualities of love both of you, husband and wife. And if you, if you know friends who are going through this kind of decision-making time because they've allowed their relationship to drift apart slowly, talk to them, pray for them, pray with them, help them. Embody these qualities of love in your marriage relationship and you'll stay in love always. It'll be an automatic 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not provoke uh, or behave rudely. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, and there are things that have to be born that are not necessarily pleasant on the surface level in a marriage relationship, but things come along. But love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. I've told the story many times about The family gathered together for the 50th anniversary of grandma and grandpa. 
And granddaughter sat with grandma one time and she said, Grandma, in 50 years, have you ever thought about divorcing grandpa? She said, divorce? Never. Murder? Many times. (laughs) But divorce? Never. Should never be a thought in your head if you'll stay on course, if you'll be checking your compass regularly and continually and effectively. Always, always, always pay attention to each other. Do not neglect one another. Cherish, nurture your love for one another and make that an open kind of demonstration. Demonstrate that love through the way that you treat one another, the way you talk to one another, and the way you think about one another that naturally comes across in the way you deal with one another. Do not allow yourselves to drift apart. Now, why did I, why did I insert this particular section of study in our more specific study of not letting ourselves drift, slowly drift away. What did the Hebrews writer say again? Give the more earnest heed to the things which you have heard, lest you drift away. You see, a lot of times, again, people, they're not really focused that much in their spiritual relationship or a spiritual direction in their life is not really very much in the forefront of their mind, but they understand this illustration because they know people who have slowly drifted away and ended up losing their marriage relationship. So this is a real life example that we all can relate to because we've seen it. We've seen it in people around us. Maybe we have experienced it to some degree and then caught ourselves in our own marriage relationship. But it's it's it's, it's an example that we can relate to because we've seen it. Take the principle and start to think about how much attention has I, have I been giving to my relationship with God, to my relationship with Jesus Christ, to my relationship with the church. That's just as important as my relationship with God and my relationship with Christ. They all go together. It's a package deal. How much attention have I been giving, have I been focusing upon in my spiritual life? How focused am I on my soul and on my eternal destiny? We need to be careful. We need to keep watching the compass. We need to stay on course, keep checking our bearings lest, as the Hebrews writer put it, lest we drift away and probably don't even realize we're drifting. If you need to make some reassessments in your life, please make those 
please check your compass spiritually. If you're thinking privately, silently to yourself, I need to make some reassessments in my marriage life too. Make those. But check your bearings. Check your compass. Are you on course spiritually? Is your relationship with God what it ought to be? With Christ what it ought to be? With the church what it ought to be? Are you going to heaven? Are you sure? If you need to take a step for prayer perhaps, if you need to take a step to make that decision to be baptized into Christ, don't drift away. Take that action you need to take as we stand together and sing.